0: Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten You are now tuned to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca And your preferred podcast player of choice It is your man DM Cool And welcome to Cool Radio What we doing? You keep catching me on your TV even on the radio on way, go Hold up, why them haters
1: mad? Hey, don't stop it, huh? Top in us, they be watching us. We so prosperous, they don't no stop in us. and don't no top in us, they be watching us. We so prosperous. Oh, you didn't know you ass better call somebody.
0: <laughs> indeed, indeed. Tell a friend to telephone, because we're live on the airways right now and. For the special broadcast of Cool Radio, we are live on Facebook. So if you're joining us on the Facebook live chat, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I told you guys earlier today that I want you guys to drop in some suggestions that you have for things uh, for me to discuss as pertains to our main topic for tonight's proceedings, which is the Raptors becoming the 2019 NBA World Champions. Hold on. Let me say that one more time. Your 2019 NBA world champions are the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, shout out to my man, uh, Sheldon Alexander. He says this on his podcast all the time. What a time to be alive. Because honestly, this is a very amazing time to be alive. Like, I was so unsure as to whether or not I would see the day that the Raptors would be hoisting up the Larry O.B. trophy, as Kawhi so eloquently puts. I was not sure if I'd be blessed and highly favored enough to catch that day. But lo and behold, I did. And boy, oh boy, was it stupendous. So on today's episode, we're going to run through some of, you know, the best moments of the 2019 Toronto Raptors run through the playoffs. We're going to go through, you know, some of the things that you guys have suggested as, as per the viewers choice um, segment that I've kind of injected into today's show. But before I get to all of that, you guys already know that I have some stuff to get off my chest. And this is going to be be Raptor related, of course. But nonetheless, it has to be mentioned. So with that said, I think it is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So let's start things off by doing a brief breakdown of the game. All right, let's do a brief, brief breakdown of the game. Now, first and foremost, before I get to that, I just want to give you my raw reaction, my raw immediate reaction following the game. Once that official or close to when the buzzer hits, so I'm gonna pick the picture for you guys for a, for a minute. There's about maybe 15 seconds left, give or take. The Raptors inbound the ball. Kawhi has it on on the opposite end. He gets a double coming in, so then he passes it off to Danny Green. Danny Green has uh, has Danny uh, or Draymond Green on him, rather, and he's hounding him. And literally all he has to do is hold the ball because there's no shot clock, and they're up by one. Therefore, they, they being the Golden State Warriors, have to commit a foul. But Green, Dray, uh, not Draymond, but Danny Green, rather, just blasts a, a damn near impossible pass to catch by Pascal Siakam, and it ends up going out of bounds. So I'm thinking to myself in mind, I'm watching. I'm watching this with two of my brethren. I'm thinking to myself, "Oh crap! You know what? It's okay. It's okay. Everything's fine. Everything is completely fine. I'm trying to stay as positive as possible. My boys are tripping, and I, with with every right they have to be tripping. But I'm trying to keep it positive. I got there's, there has to be at least one positive person in the room. So I'm saying to myself, everything is fine." And then, so, Warriors, they get possession, of course. They inbound it. They're trying to find Steph. They eventually get out of Steph. Steph hoists up this almost fadeaway drifting three-pointer. It's very similar to the one that he hit near the end of game five. So, I'm thinking to myself, "Uh," but then it hits back rim, and there's a mad scramble for for the ball, and it ends up in Kawhi's hands somehow. And Kawhi's trying to go the distance with the ball, but then he kind of loses possession of it. And Danny Green, or sorry, not Danny Green, Draymond Green, they're both named Green. Draymond basically gets the ball, doesn't really have clear possession of it, but it's basically resting on his belly by the time he gets to it, and he calls a timeout. So at this point, we have about .9 seconds left in the game, and I'm clutching to dear life on, on my homies. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? What happened? They're still up by one. And he calls a timeout. But the thing is, Golden State doesn't have any timeouts left. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. That was the first thing that came to my mind. Second thing that came to my mind was, what is up with Michigan guys and calling timeouts where they don't have any? I mean, Draymond Green, Chris Webber. Like, is that a Michigan thing? I don't. Uh, who knows? Anyways, so that went through my head. They're going through the replay and – and I'm wondering, okay, like, so, did they not have enough timeouts? Like, because we're all talking amongst ourselves, trying to figure out what the hell is going on, and we're all overly anxious because we're up by one with 0.9 left, and we're 0.9 seconds away from glory. So it ends up being that they called a timeout when they had no when they had no timeouts left. So that means that the Raptors shoot a technical foul and they get the ball back as well. So Kawhi Leonard went to the line, shot the technical free throw. He got the ball back, or sorry, the Raptors got the ball back, and then they inbounded to to Kawhi near the, their basket. Kawhi puts up the puts up a layup with Andre Iguodala fouling him, and me and my friends were all screaming, "Ah, it's over! It's over!" The buzzer went off. Oh, "It's over! We went, We went. But then the ref is stopping the match. I'm like, "What the hell now? Like, what's? Let me celebrate! I want to celebrate! Damn it!" So then they're saying that Kawhi Leonard got fouled on the play. I'm like, all right, all right, let let the man shoot his free throws so I can celebrate. So he shoots the free throws, game done, and then boom, the rest is history. So I was absolutely elated at the end result. Mind you, it was a little dramatic with the start and stop sequences with the technical foul and then the foul play. I'm just like, yo, let me just have a smooth celebration like you can't be spiking up my adrenaline levels like up and down up and down like a carousel like please i, I can't not not in my age please i can't do this but uh <laughs> no nah, man it, it was amazing like it was amazing it was one of the most intense closeout games i've ever watched and that's not me saying this as a raptors fan this is just me saying this as a general fan of basketball like that was one of the most intense closeout matches i've ever watched in my life and for me, being a Raptors fan, I had so much more invested into it as far as emotional stake and what have you. So there was so much that 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 went into that final sequence, especially. But yeah, if you guys saw me on Facebook last night, y'all know I was acting a fool. I had the champagne bottle ready. I had my cap ready. I'm celebrating with the homies. It was it was a beautiful it was a beautiful thing. Um, but you know, let me just give you guys a brief breakdown of the game itself as, as promised. So. This game was back and forth. There was maybe almost what 17 lead changes throughout the game. No team had a larger gap than, than, than five points, I, I believe. Kyle Lowry came out the gate scorching. The man had 11 points in, in the first quarter alone, hit three transition three pointers. Went into the lane as well. Like, he was not messing around. Like, maybe he felt some sort of guilt for having his shot blocked at the end of Game 5. So he said to himself, no, uh-uh, I'm not leaving anything to chance. But then again, now, now that I mentioned it, he, I think the Raptors, a.k.a. Kyle Lowry, started off on an 11-0 run. But that's neither here nor there. But nonetheless, he was he was scorching. Pascal Siakam was scorching as well, in and outside. I think he was fired up from the comments that Nick Nurse made about him in regards to why he didn't play for the majority of the fourth quarter and saying how he was a liability on defense and he didn't put enough effort and energy on the defensive end. And that spoke volumes to them. And I'm sure they had a conversation about that prior to him saying that to the media because Nick Nurse doesn't come, up, doesn't come across as an individual to kind of air somebody out w- w- while they have no knowledge of the airing out, <laughs> essentially. But nonetheless... He came out of the gate blazing as well. Kawhi Leonard kind of had a quiet start. Uh, but we all figured as Raptor fans, he's probably saving his energy for the second half, if anything, so that he can go into instant kill mode like he did in the last couple of games. But... Yeah, it was back and forth, very contentious. Clay Thompson, aka Mr. Game Six, doesn't matter if it's Conference Finals, first round—you already know he's going to be scorching on in a Game Six scenario, and he came to deliver. He was blazing. I mean, we—the the Raptors did their best in stopping Steph, uh, Steph Curry, which is what you should do because he is the main guy. But don't sleep on Clay Thompson. Like this guy, when he's in a streak. You can't stop him. He's the streakiest player ever in a positive way. Streaky players are streaky for better or for worse. When he's streaky, he is streaky for better. So, that again, he was all guns blazing. And then it was like that through the majority of the game as well. What I was most impressed with, aside from the all-around play from Kyle Lowry and, 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 and company, was the fact that you had Serge Ibaka coming off the bench for 15 points. Uh, being that offensive uh, rebounder that the Raptors have needed throughout the majority of the playoffs anyway, and just getting nice little putbacks and just finding his spots to get the easy uh, high percentage shots. You had Fred Van Vliet, who proved to be arguably the most valuable sixth man in the league, man. I mean, 22 points all coming off of three-point shots. I think he may have had a few free throws, but beyond that, all of his field goals were three-pointers. This guy had no hearts, like, like no conscience. Like he was just letting it ring, especially in that fourth quarter. He did not care. He was going for broke. And I love that. Uh, I mean, and what it all, what it, what it's all said and done. I mean, I think Kawhi only had about 23 points, which is a pretty pedestrian performance from him just by his standards. But I think that just goes to show you that this team is in fact a team like It is a village. Everyone came together and brought something to the potluck. Like, Kyle Lowry had 26 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds on, what, 60% shooting from 3-point range? Yo, talk nice about my man the next time you guys want to go dismay. I already mentioned Fred Van Vliet. Um, Pascal Siakam had a very similar stat line to Kyle Lowry. He had 26 points and 10 rebounds. And it's funny because in the previous game, I think he only had one rebound. So, again... The messages that Nick Nurse was giving him were sticking through, so I love that. Serge, already mentioned, Marcus saw kind of struggling in this game, especially with foul trouble. Uh, Danny Green didn't have any points in the game, he didn't even make he didn't even attempt a field goal, which is very uncharacteristic, but he did play his part on the defensive end, so I will give him credit on that as well. Um, Norm had a few spurts here and there, not on the offensive end, but more so for defensive purposes. But all around, it was just a team game. It, w- it was Toronto strong in that game. And throughout this entire series, and I'll kind of touch more into that in, in a later segment of the show, is that they were the better team. And, and I get it. KD wasn't playing for the majority of the series. Klay Thompson got injured uh, in one of the games. And we'll get into Klay a little bit later as well. But I think people are forgetting the fact that the Raptors were playing hurt as well. Like, this was not a picnic for anyone on this Raptors team. Fred VanVleet got clocked in, uh, in what, I think it was game four, if I'm not mistaken. On top of that, he's playing with a bad thumb. Same with Danny Green. Danny Green's playing with a bad thumb as well as Kyle Lowry. Like, all three of them were playing with bad thumbs as well. Things that they may have to get surgery on come offseason. Kawhi Leonard, his whole lower body is just aching in agony. But he's still playing through it. By the way, shout out to Alex Machekny, the tr- the head trainer for the, the for the Toronto Raptors. He's probably the the real MVP in all of this. Uh, but yeah, like et- like there are so many other guys on the Raptors who are going through their through their through their fair fair of sh- sorry their fair share of struggles. I got it. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, they still pulled through. So, it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting when you're hearing some of the American media outlets going through the narrative of, oh, well, this guy's hurt and this guy's hurt. Listen, the playoffs are a battle of attrition. And, like, if you think that the Raptors are the only people or the only champions who have benefited from the opposing team being injured, you're severely mistaken. In fact, Golden State, when they went on their first championship or this current championship run, they battled against teams who were missing key players. I mean, Jeez, I had a list with me, like, but um, it's on another device. But nonetheless, for years they've battled against opposition that didn't have their key guys, especially in their in their first uh, championship program with the Cavaliers. Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving were not present. In fact, Della Vadova, Matthew Delavadova, was the second best player next to LeBron James. Like, that's pretty sad. Um, on top of that, you can go back to the Cleveland Cavaliers and say that they got lucky against. Um, the Golden State Warriors when they won against them back in twenty sixteen when they when they came up from three one down because let's be honest Andrew Boga got hurt in game six, Anja Iguodali got hurt in game six as well, and then Draymond Green got suspended in game in uh, in uh, game six because of his technical that that took place in game five. So again, th- the, it's just the luck of the draw that sometimes happens to happen. So either way. When that does happen, it's your duty as the opposition to take advantage of that moment because no one's going to feel sorry and be like, oh, well, I guess instead of playing at 100%, we're just going to play 80% of that way you guys have a chance. to No, no, you play to your strengths. And that's, that's exactly what the Raptors did. And what I loved about this team is the fact that they made Golden State look vulnerable. And when they made Golden State look vulnerable, they made Golden State look desperate with all these reports about Kevin Durant possibly being ready for this game or the next game, with Kevin Looney being out indefinitely, but then when they realize how much they they miss Looney, they're like, oh, well, he got a second opinion, and he's now upgraded to probable. Like, what? Like, oh, their PR team, it, it's something else. But that's going to be something else that I will get into later on as well. That kind of fits into uh, the second segment that I have of the show. But – one thing that I want to say before we get into the next segment of the show, before we go to break, is this, man. This entire this entire, in, in, entire, title run or playoff run in general has basically unified the country of Canada more than any other sports in this league. And I don't think it's hyperbole for me to say this because – whether you're watching the American broadcast or the Canadian broadcast and you're watching the Raptors, those networks went out of their way to show all the different viewing parties viewing parties that are happening in Canada, whether it was Jurassic Park in Toronto or if it was Jurassic Park West at, um, at uh, Celebration Square in Mississauga or if it was at the square in Burlington or in, in Brampton or in Halifax, Montreal, Calgary. Edmonton, Regina, Vancouver, all over the place. Everyone was cheering for the Raptors. I've never seen this before for the Maple Leafs because the Maple Leafs just represent Toronto. There's, since there's only five other teams in um, – there's five other Canadian teams in, in the NHL. I didn't really see this for the Blue Jays. For the Blue Jays, for the most part, it seemed very pro-Toronto. I didn't really hear any about any other viewing parties happening outside of the GTA. And then as far as the NFL, we don't have a professional football team. And then Argos is more it's more Toronto-based. Toronto FC, again, more Toronto-based. The Raptors galvanized every single fan in this country. And that just goes to show the popularity of the sport globally as well. And it's so funny that back in 1995 that people were saying that basketball was nothing more than a fad and that it wouldn't last long. It's always ironic how things that are kind of spearheaded by people of color are often seen as fads when they first get introduced. But then lo and behold, they have so much staying power that they kind of control the industry that they're in, like hip-hop. And basketball is arguably the second most popular sport on the earth behind soccer. I will debate with anybody on that. But we can leave that for another day. What we're going to do now is we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, I am going to go off on a playoff retrospective, if you will. So from the journey to the first round up until now for the Toronto Raptors, and then later on afterwards, I will get into the viewer choice segments where some of you guys chimed in and asked me what I want to discuss in particular, or I asked you guys what you guys want to have discussed in particular Uh, When it comes to the Toronto Raptors So as we go to our break If you're listening to the live stream On MaximumFM.ca You're going to be hearing the sounds Of my man Everything O'Shawn And this record is called Kyle Lowry And rightfully so So shout out to my man Everything O'Shawn I'm definitely going to have him And Express uh, on the show During the summertime And we're going to talk Everything Raptors as well But nonetheless keep it locked This is Cool Radio And we'll be right back After these messages Yeah (coughs) (coughs) Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show once again. It's your man DM Cool, and this is Cool Radio. Now, if you're just tuning in, welcome to the show. Um, we are talking everything Raptors today, everything Raptors, because we are on the uh, the aftermath of the Raptors becoming your NBA 2000. Sorry, let me rephrase that. Let me let me put that in reverse. Your 2019 NBA World champions whoa i will never get bored of saying that never never you'll never catch me being bored saying that but anyways i digress i digress i can go on that for days but we are going to kind of do a little retrospective of how we got to this point all right how we got to this point how the raptors became nba champions man let's kind of Go through all the scenarios that happened during the during um, this entire playoff run. So, first round, which seems like ages ago, in actuality, it was roughly around two months ago that the first round started, or that the playoffs in general got that got started. Um, the Orlando Magic that was our first round opponent, and after that first game, which we lost, everyone kept on reverting back to that same old narrative. Oh, here we go, same old Raptors. Orlando's probably going to beat them in an upset. Oh, my gosh. Lowry scored zero points in game one. Oh, my gosh. Here we go again, guys. And I'm like, Ugh. Now, I wasn't one to subscribe to that notion. But, again, it was frustrating to see a goose egg in Lowry's stat, uh, stat, stat chart. And I'm just like, come on, Lowry. You better than this. You better than this. Uh, you had Kawhi Leonard and and um, Marcus all miscommunicate on the final play that left DJ Augustin open for that three. You had Kawhi Leonard, who only played about, what, 33, 34 minutes, and then people were, were screaming about, oh, well, what's load management all about if you can't even play this guy 40 minutes, Da-da-da, and all that stuff. And it's just like, guys, it's only the first game. All right, Like the first game of the NBA playoffs, you don't have to play 48 minutes. And judging by the rest of how the rest of that series went out, I don't think Kawhi Leonard went over 40 minutes. I don't think he even went over 35 or 36 minutes for that matter. Maybe 37 at most, but nothing beyond that because majority of the games were blowouts. So first game was close. Second game was a blowout. Third game was close. Fourth game was a blowout, and the closeout game was a blowout as well. Like that, that closeout game, was there was nothing to discuss about that closeout game. That was just taking care of business. So, not much to say about that series. Um, it just kind of felt like a regular season game, or string of regular season games, I should say. But what I will say is that that was the first time in Raptors history that they closed out an opponent in five games. So, that was refreshing to see, because that's what you expect from a top-seeded team who has... Championship uh, aspirations, so that was good to see, nonetheless. So let's go to second round. This is where things get interesting. This uh, matchup between the Sixers and the Raptors. This was arguably the best series in the entire playoffs. This and the Portland series were the only two series that I believe went seven games. I don't think any other series in the playoffs won seven games. Uh, I think these. I think this and and the Denver series were the only two. But nonetheless, man, this is where we got to see Kawhi Kawhi. You know what I mean? Like Kawhi Mia River Kawhi. Kawhi Leonard. Fun guy, Kawhi Leonard. Like, this is where we got to see where load management would pay off. Because literally, this series was was Kawhi Leonard versus everyone. And Philly was arguably the most top-heavy team in the playoffs, not named Golden State. You had Joel Embiid at center. You had Tobias Harris as your stretch four. You had, I believe, it was Jimmy Butler at the three spot. You had JJ Redick, who's one of the best spot up shooters in the league, and then you had Ben Simmons as your as your, as your as your point forward essentially. So that was a pretty stacked lineup, especially when it comes to length. And then even the guys who were coming off the bench were pretty lengthy as well, and that disrupted the hell out of our smaller guards like Larry. Like Van Vliet, and it was to the point where people were questioning as to whether or not Van Vliet was playable in the series at all. People were calling more on Patrick McCaw to play the the one spot. Some people were even saying that Jeremy Lin should play uh, ahead of v- Van Vliet. So those were definitely troubling times for Van Vliet, and we didn't really know at the time that he was expecting a child. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a hard fought series. I predicted that it would go in six games, but it went seven instead. It could have gone six games uh, because I believe that in that second game, the Raptors kind of lost that game on their own because of the fact that they weren't hitting open shots and just gave Philly an opportunity to catch up in the game. And one thing I noticed about Philly in that series is that they were very terrible at, at taking care of the ball or attempting to take care of the ball. They were very terrible at it. And then game three happens, you know. Joel Embiid doing the airplane, doing the Hulk Hogan, uh, doing the the tambourine thing and all that. And that was a game where you had Iverson in attendance, Meek Mill was there in attendance, all these big-name Philly guys in attendance, and they're acting like they've already won the championship. I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. And then, of course, you had Chris Broussard's dumbass talking about, Canada soft. Raptors are soft, you know, uh, Leonard ain't soft, but the rest of his team is Larry's soft, they're all soft. I'm like, oh boy, here we go with these ignorant American takes, I'm not even trying to hear this right now. But then what happens in game four, Kawhi Leonard goes into instant kill mode and hits that disgusting three-pointer over Joel Embiid to ice the game at that point. That was a dagger shot right there, so that got... That eventually tied things up at 2 apiece. Game 5, we come back to Toronto and we run rush out of their candy asses. I mean, MB was on a poster. Uh, uh, Spicy P did put the spin cycle on him. You had Drake trolling him in the crowd, and everyone was kind of following into it. That was a great game. That was one of the more enjoyable games because, let's be honest, MB got what was coming to him. And what I felt very weird about that series was that anytime. And be it had a bad game or was expected to have a bad game, it was always something about he's he's got the flu. He's got the bubble guts. Um, what the the, the, the the head coach of Philadelphia was saying, oh, he called me at 6 in the morning saying how he's feeling sick and how he might not be able to go, but he's going to try and give it a try. And I'm just like, why are you putting your your, your guy out on front street like that? It was weird. It was super weird. I never understood that, but I felt like they were ready ready to prepare a cop-out in case if he didn't perform well. And then Game 7 happened. Game 7. Man. And it's funny because people kept on making the narrative of how 18 years ago the Raptors were in this exact same spot against Philly in the 2001 playoffs where Vince missed the big shot. And then in, in this scenario... My man Kawhi, ooh, he did not miss any shot whatsoever. That was, that may have been, I think that may have been the greatest shot I've ever seen. I think that may have been the great that I've ever seen personally. That Damian Lillard shot in the first round was up there. But then when Kawhi hit that shot, to me, it meant a bit more because of what was at stake. Let's say, and I'm going back to the Damian Lillard series, for example. Let's say Dame Dollar misses that shot over over Paul George. If he misses that shot, no biggie. They're already up three one. They can just go back to uh, OKC and 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 uh, have another have another go at elimination. And if all else fails, they still have a game seven in their back pocket. So the stakes were the stakes weren't that high. It's just that the troll factor. In that series was a bit higher because of all the barking and and the chest thumping that that Westbrook was doing uh, throughout that entire series. How Dennis Schroeder was trolling, even though he had no reason to. Paul George did the pump dunk at the end of game three or game four, whichever one it was. There was just a lot of trolling. So for him to do that walk-off three-pointer and wave bye-bye like that, boom, bye-bye. And then, you know, do the little meme face when everyone's uh, crowding in on him. That's what made the shot a bit... bit bigger than what it was not saying that that shot wasn't big that shot was deadly from what 40 feet out a step back don't even get me started and then but then I go back to the Kawhi shot and there's so much at stake you're tied 3-3 against a very top heavy Sixers team and in a series where you're not really getting the support that you need from from your rotation like it's to the point where you're only you're only rolling six deep as opposed to eight or nine deep so you have to end this now. You have to put this in the put put the, put it in the bed, nip it in the butt, whatever you got to do. Otherwise, you're looking at a situation where you're where you got to play overtime, and that could go in any direction. And Jimmy Butler has been was had been a very uh yeah he had been a very good closer in that series in, in that series as well. I give him that credit. So you had to end it at that point. And with history on the line as well and what, happened, what had transpired 18 years prior and how that one shot kind of held the, the franchise back to a certain degree, it had to be done. You had to knock them out then and there. And lo and behold, that's exactly what he did. It took four bounces for it to be called a series. Man, I'll never forget that. I will never forget that. And then the Milwaukee Bucks series. The Milwaukee Bucks series. Oh, before I get to that Bucks series, let me just point out that that shot that Kawhi hit was so deadly that Joel Embiid was crying, and it wasn't even like you know a little tear trickling down or whatever. It was like an ugly face cry. And I'm not trying to roast the man or anything, but it's it's very rare that you see in a gro- that you see a grown adult, male or female, cry so profusely like that. And for him to do that and no shame on him for that but but to see him do that, especially after how jovial he was and and precocious and obnoxious that he was, it's like, wow, I don't even want to tease you right now because still deep down inside, you're still a kid and you haven't really gone through your MBA lumps yet. So I couldn't even roast him man at that point, but nonetheless it showed that he had, he had a lot of growing up to do. and maybe who knows, that experience might hum- humble him in the future. So, hey, it is what it is. But, yeah, going forward now to the Milwaukee Bucks series. Now, this series, oh, man, I'll be very honest. I didn't know which way this was going to go. I really didn't. In my mind, I thought the series was going to go seven games, but I didn't know who was going to be the, the winner of those seven games, of that seven-game series. I didn't know if it was going to be the Raptors or the Bucks. All I thought to myself was this is going seven games either way. And when the Raptors went down 0-2, I wasn't scared, but I was annoyed. I'm like, ugh, okay, now it's just going to be harder from here. Because that first game, I'm like, oh, okay, we can hang with them. We can hang. Like, we played about 45 and a half good minutes of basketball, and then we just kind of let it slip. Wasn't mad. I'm just like, okay, you know what? Milwaukee did what they had to do. They had to protect home court, which is exactly what they did in that first game. But that second game, mind you, I didn't watch that second game because I was uh, in studio. I was like, oh, gosh, oh, I don't want to see the highlights for this crap. Oh, man, this this is not good, guys. This is not good. So they come back home. They gut it out in double overtime. Kawhi Leonard is hobbling around like an old man. I'm like, wow, I've never seen Kawhi like this before. This is insane. And then he ended up getting a little bit of help in, the, in that overtime period as well. But then game four, when he was still in pain after playing, what, 52 minutes or something to that extent? His teammates were like, yo, fall back. We got this. We got this for you, homie. And boy, oh boy, did they get it for him in a big way. You know how they got for him in a big way? Because they ended up helping him out huge. Huge, my guy, huge. How many points did they put up as far as the bench goes? I mean, Fred Van Vliet, I think that was after he had his child. So he went supernova, Norm Powell went supernova, Ibaka had life off of the bench, like, everything was clicking, everything was clicking. And then game five, I'm thinking to myself, man, if we could steal game five on the road, that's going to give us so much momentum if we head back home to game six. And again, Van Vliet, seven pointers 105.99 was the final score. And I'm like, oh my gosh. One more game, and we're going to the NBA Finals. And then game six happens. It's a little bit back and forth, but then Milwaukee ends up getting that 15-point lead with about two minutes left to go in the third quarter. Kawhi Leonard's in the huddle telling the guys, hey, man, just relax, have fun, enjoy the moment. I'm like, what? Have fun? Enjoy the – what? We're down 15 on our home floor with a shot to go to the NBA Finals, and you're telling us to have fun? All right, and then lo and behold, fun guy galvanizes these people, and then they just go on a tear. They go on a tear, and then the moment Kawhi just jams it on on Giannis on that fast break with about, what, five or six minutes left to, uh, to go in the fourth, Oh, I knew we were going back. I knew we were going to the finals. I at that moment, I just knew. It. I just knew we were going to the finals. And that was a moment where the Raptors never relinquished the lead. They never relinquished the lead at that moment. They never did. And I'm just like, "Man, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe we're going to the NBA finals." And then the buzzer sounds. The confetti is raining from the sky. Kyle Larry with that goofy smile on his face, which I absolutely adored. And then the championship gear is coming out. Everyone's rocking the t-shirts and the hats and everything like that. I was like, man, this is really happening. My squad is going to the finals. And then we come across Golden State. And I'm seeing the way the Raptors are playing, the way they're switching on, on, on defenders or what have you. And I'm saying to myself, this squad was designed to go up against Golden State. The way they're switching from man to man and what have you, their, their length of athleticism, the IQ of Marcus All kind of coordinating everything on the defensive end, this is what I envisioned. This is what Messiah envisioned. And it came to pass. Now, there were some casualties in, in, in that series, as we all know. The first one has to be Kevin Durant. And I honestly, I blame Golden State with the way they they handled that situation. I mean, if the calf strain was that serious, they should have let him play in the first place. And that calf strain led to a, a ruptured Achilles. And to be honest, I kind of personally feel as though the Achilles was a problem all along. But hey, I'm not sure if we'll ever know that for a fact. And then Clay Thompson in in the closeout game when he when he towards ACL, like that is a terrible string of bad luck. And I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And I know the hot topic, uh, going back to Game 5, was in fact, you know, sections of the crowd at the Scotiabank Arena cheering when Kevin Durant was hobbled. And I'll say this, I don't think it was the entire crowd that was cheering. I personally think it was a vocal minority of the crowd that's cheering. Because if you look at the audible of the people who are cheering at that moment versus the audible of the people cheering KD, 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 it's night and day. So... Yes, it was loud enough to the point where both teams had to tell the the crowd to shut up basically. And it shouldn't have happened whether it was the vocal minority or majority, it shouldn't have happened because you got to be more more respectful of that because it is someone's life, someone's livelihood that we're talking about. Um I just think that the media, especially with the American media, they're kind of running a little too far with it like, "Oh, look at these Canadians. They're not as nice as we thought they were." Like, "Come on, guys." Like Golden State fans cheered when Kawhi Leonard injured himself – or got injured, rather, two years ago when he was on the Spurs and they played against the Warriors. So don't give me that. And on top of that, you know, wasn't it – wasn't it, what, not too long ago where the the women's national team for for, uh, soccer, when they were overly celebrating the amount of goals that they were getting? Like, come on. Like, let's not play this game of pettiness, all right? So either way – I'm glad that the Raptor fans showed um, showed some humility in the aftermath of that. When they when members of the Raptor community were donating money uh, to the Katie's charity, and on top of that, they were signing their signatures on that get well card and what have you. Now, personally, I haven't seen any other fan base do that, but hey, that's none of my business. But yeah, either way, that was an amazing series, one of the best series that I've seen in basketball, and the Raptors showed. That they could not only hang with the Warriors, but they were better than the Warriors as they are currently presented and constructed. It led to desperation plays like having Kevin Looney reactivated after he had damaged his collarbone. It was activating Clay Thompson immediately after him spraining his hamstring in a play in which that he tried to draw contact on illegally, but hey, that's whatever. And it happened at a time when they were basically pressuring KD to come back to play via leaked reports in the media, which is why Bob Myers, the owner of the uh, or the president of basketball operations of the uh, of the Warriors, was crying at the podium. So it is what it is. But either way, I don't think anyone should say that this championship was tainted by the Toronto Raptors. It was earned. If you look at the path that they had to go through in order to get to where they are now, it was like playing the boss. In Mortal Combat, Like, nobody wants to go through that. So, props to the Raptors for making it that far. They had to get slapped in the mouth in the first round by the Orlando Magic. They got pressed by the most top-heavy team in the Eastern Conference in Philadelphia 76ers. And since Joel Embiid crying, they had to face an 0-2 deficit against the Milwaukee Bucks that was led by the favorite to be the MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo, And had him storming off midway through his press conference um, at the aftermath of that series. And then they had to basically topple a dynasty in the Golden State Warriors so that they can hoist up the Larry O.B. trophy. Well-deserved. We're going to take one more break. When we get back, I'm going to get to some of the topics that you guys have requested. So keep it locked. This is Cool Radio. I'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. If you're just tuning in, we're talking everything Raptors today. That's because it's necessary, don't, don't don't ask why. Just just take it. Just embrace it. As you can see, I'm in my championship attire. And speaking of which, this is just kind of a random factor, actually. As I was coming downtown today, um, in order to do my show, I came to Union Station and I went into the concourse hall to check out real sports. Because somebody told me how there's like a lineup of people. Uh, who are looking to buy some championship shirts and what have you or just championship merch in general. So this person was not lying because the line was freaking long. Not only that, but there are new graffiti walls that are not graffiti walls the uh, propaganda walls you know the walls with the with the promos of like the different labels and stuff like that um, There are different walls that are set up that said 2019 NBA champions. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. Actually, I thought it was cool. People were taking pictures in front of it, taking selfies in front of it. So I thought that was dope. Um, there was um, just outside of it, outside the, of the Scotiabank Arena, there was a uh, a big circle that had the Raptors logo in it, and on the over on the top of the arching portion, it said "2019 NBA Champions." It was just a good feeling, man. It was just a good feeling. People were taking pictures of the signage that that, that was on the uh, the the big board for the Scotiabank Arena. Just the energy I'm seeing in this in this city, man. It's it's it, man, I love it. I love it. I feel like it's long overdue. But anyways, I digress. So with that said, let's get back into the swing of things. Um, so for the trip talk segment, this one's gonna be viewer's choice, all right. So some of you guys chimed in earlier today on Facebook. And you wanted to uh, wanted me to point out a few things that you found found to be of importance in this series. So first thing that uh, somebody mentioned was the the sacrifice of Demar Derozan. Now that sacrifice was huge, and in hindsight, we can now say that it was worth it because the end game was the championship, which is what we're hoisting right now. When it first happened, oh, a lot of us were split. A lot of us were split. Some were absolutely for it. Some were against it. I was torn. I was in the middle. And I'll be completely transparent. You can go back on the tape, run that back. You know I was transparent. Because on one end, I'm like, yeah, I get it. DeMar did not perform well in the playoffs. He kind of flamed out, kind of let himself down in, in the process as well. But then at the same time, it's like he's our longest tenured Raptor. He's the only star outside of Kyle Lowry who actually wants to stay and who actually gives a damn about the city. You know, he could have uh, t- taken other offers uh, w- once he became a free agent, but he signed with us, you know, at the stroke at midnight. And then as far as Kawhi Leonard goes, we don't know the severity of his injury. We don't know if he's even passed the physical yet. He probably doesn't even want to be here. He probably won't even ret- uh, report to training camp. He'll probably pull Alonzo morning on us. Man, this is bad. We're mortgaging our future right now. Trust me. I remember all of that. And then I said, after a week, I said to myself, you know what? Let's at least wait until he passes training camp, or not training camp, um, his physical. Let's wait. If he passes his physical, that's step one. And then we'll just go from there gradually. And slowly but surely, we got certain things out of Kawhi that we didn't see out of DeMar. And I'm like, oh, he's a good rebounder. Oh, He actually has an outside shot, like a a consistent one. Oh, he has like a a bit of a tighter handle. He's a much better defender. Like Things like this I knew about Kawhi a little bit just because I I watched the odd Spurs game here and there. But seeing it for the majority of the NBA season, you're like, whoa. I didn't know he could do all of this. So it was refreshing to see, I I would say. But definitely going to DeRozan's sacrifice, so that was a huge sacrifice. That was a ballsy move. This was like... (laughs) I'm going to say this because someone put this as a meme on Facebook, but it's actually kind of true. But this is kind of like when... And Avengers Endgame spoilers at this point. But this is basically when... When... um, When what's his face? When Thanos sacrifice Gamora in order to acquire the Soul Stone. A soul for a soul. We had to sacrifice Damar in order to retrieve a player of Kawhi's caliber in order to get us to the destination that we wanted to be in, which was the snap. So take it for what you will. With that said though, in all in all seriousness, I don't think his sacrifice should go in vain. I don't think it should go unnoticed. He put in nine years of work into, into this team. And this Weed of North era wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. He was he was a core member of the Weed of North era that kicked off in the 2013-14 season. He was a core member of that. And if it weren't for him... And his talents, then we wouldn't have been able to to pull, him, to pull in the likes of a Kawhi Leonard with, again, a green on the side as well. I mean, that's another underrated portion of that trade that people don't really often talk about. Because we're just thinking Kawhi for DeMar and what have you. But we're, but when you look at the, the 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 breakdown of it, it's, okay, so we're trading DeMar and Jacoperto for Kawhi Leonard, a perennial all-star, top five player in the league, top three player in the league. For Danny Green, a legitimate 3-and-D player that this team has been searching for for the last five or six years. And we finally got it in a proven 3-and-D veteran in Danny Green. And I'm like, wow, we got Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard? Okay. Masai wasn't playing around. So that's something to, to uh, take into consideration. The fact that we got those two players off the strength of DeMar DeRozan. And honestly, man, like you got to give DeMar DeRozan his props and his respect. Much respect due to Demar Derozan. Uh, so let's keep it moving now. Nick Nurse. Now Nick Nurse. I was high on Nick Nurse from the moment they said that we're hiring Nick Nurse. For me personally, I wanted either him or Jerry Stackhouse to be the um, the head coach of the team going forward because at least with both of those guys, you have familiarity. I was leaning more towards Stackhouse, however, because Stackhouse used to be a player. So usually, when a player turns into a coach. The players usually have more respect for him because he's he's been out in the trenches in the battlefield, so to speak. And with uh, Stackhouse, he was a coach for 905, and he won a championship with uh, 905 as well. That was the year that Siakam became the finalist MVP in the G League. So the players are already familiar with him. So I figured, okay, that would be the more logical choice. But they decided to go with Nick Nurse, and I am totally, I was totally cool with him. I'm like, okay, I kind of expected that. I'm not mad at it. Um... But yeah, with Nick Nurse, he has experience on his own end. He, he coached abroad in different leagues uh, across the world. He coached in the G League, won a G League championship as well, and then became the assistant coach for the Raptors for the last six years. So he was with the team during the Weed of North era as well. And when the team went through that culture culture reset, it was his playbook that was behind that with moving the ball around, spacing out the floor, shooting three-point shots, and distributing the wealth. Whereas with Casey, it was pound the rock. Hard, gritty basketball, hustle play. Like, please, don't, know. And it's funny. Stephen A. Smith, God, I love him for his entertainment value. This guy was saying earlier today how if Dwayne Casey was the coach of this team with Kawhi and Pascal and what have you, that he would have gotten them this far and had them win the NBA title. I'm sorry, but I'm calling BS on that. I'm calling BS on that. You know why I'm calling BS on that? Because before Nick Nurse's playbook got introduced into that 2017-18 season, it was all ISO basketball. Barely anyone not named Jamar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry or maybe even uh, – oh um, uh, Frick, what's his name? Uh, uh, Jonas Antetokounmpo was getting a touch. All right? It was all – I have the ball. Get the hell out of the way. That's all – This guy was doing. As far as defense was concerned, there was nothing inspiring about Dwayne Casey's defense. Now, I will give Casey credit. He did have them perform well during the regular season. But the main issue I have with Casey is that he never made in-game adjustments. He would only make the adjustments in the next game. He doesn't know how to make in-game adjustments. He doesn't know how to stop the bleeding. He doesn't know when to call timeouts, for goodness sake. He'll call a timeout when the team's already down by 15. Like, it's already done at that point. You call the timeout when the run is happening. If you have a five-point lead and you notice that they're catching up and it's to the point where now they're up by one or two points, that's when you call the timeout. You know why? Because that equals a 10 to 12 run, potentially. A 10 to 12 zero run, potentially. That's when you call the timeout. Not after you're 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 down by 15. So no. Nick Nurse is a better coach than Dwayne Casey. I have no issue saying that. And you saw you saw it with the creativity. I mean, this guy had to work with 22 different lines because of the injury situation that we had earlier in, in the year. And the fact that he was able to maneuver with that, and not only that, but when it came to the playoffs, he was out-coaching the likes of, of Mike Budenholzer and Steve Kerr, two former coaches of the year. And he was out-coaching them in the highest level of basketball in the conference finals and the NBA finals, respectively. Nick, Nick Nurse deserves his head coaching job. He deserves to be the head coach of Team Canada Basketball, and he deserves to have, if he's up for an extension anytime soon, he, he, sign on the dotted line. I, I like Nick Nurse. I'm a, I'm a Nick Nurse guy. Uh, let's go to Danny Green now. Danny Green, he kind of struggled. He struggled. I'll be honest. He struggled throughout the series, Uh, throughout not only the series, but throughout this entire playoff run. He did have that game three where he had 18 points in all three-pointers, so that was good to see. Because it blew the game wide open. But for the most part, I would say from the second round on, I don't know. He couldn't find his shot consistently. I'm not sure what happened. I mean, he did have the the, the bad thumb, but I don't know. Beyond that, I don't know what happened with him. So at least I can say that even though his three-point shot wasn't knocking down, he could still rely on his defense, on the defensive end, to make certain plays. So I wasn't mad at that. And then Fred Van Vliet, man, the low-key MVP of this entire thing, man. This guy came up big when it, when it counted. I mean, people were ready to count him out midway through that Milwaukee series. But then once he had that kid, he's like, okay, it's go time. Three-point barrage after three-point barrage. And then in the final game, in game six, he, like I said earlier in the broadcast, he was going for broke. He said, screw it. I'm going out swinging. Who want this sauce? Come get it. And three-pointers all around. He had the step back on DeMarcus Cousins. He had to step back on Quinn Cook. He's like, yo, where are you going? Where are you going? You better be going back to the G League with that non-defensive you were playing. Man, shout out to Rockport, Illinois, man. That dude, he was (sighs) balling. But yeah, it's been a good, it's been a good playoff run, guys. It's been a good playoff run. Um, But you know what? We're almost done, so we're gonna end things off with the Wanks of the Week. So let's get to that right now. And this week's Wankster of the week goes to the police officer who had the audacity to put his hands on the Raptors team president Masai Ujiri. Now this happened um, when the right before the, the uh, trophy ceremony went underway. He was going onto the court as he should, and then one of the security guards, or I don't know if he was a deputy or whatever, whatever you know, fake ass badge wearing douchebag. That, that approached him said that he didn't have the proper uh, clearance and and and, and registration to, to step onto the court. That's the team president. He's been on ESPN for this entire playoff run. How do you not recognize who he is? And he's on the court wearing a suit. How do you not know? And he has the audacity to put his hands on them. Like, what are you doing, bro? So it came out earlier today that in his statement, he wasn't being honest with a few things that he was saying. Now – it didn't say the exact details, but I just saw the headline because something was wrong with the article. It wasn't opening up properly, but nonetheless, there are some fishy details about, you know, what he was saying. And it may be led to believe that he was lying in his statement. Now the sheriff County or whatever the case may be, they're trying to pursue charges, uh, misdemeanor charges because he, because he put his hands on a lot, a law official, but, If his statement is as janky as Stephen Curry's statement towards the Raptors' defense, then this might be thrown out the window. But nonetheless, this guy's a wankster. He's an idiot. Messiah is our Messiah. That's our king right there. And so for that, you get the wankster of the week for for putting your hands on royalty. Do you get this wankster? Do you deserve it? Of course you do. I'm going to drop it like this. And that does it for tonight's show, people. I want to thank you guys for tuning in live on Maximum FM. And I want to thank you for tuning in if you're going to be listening later on the podcast. Shout out to all the people who are li- who are watching on Facebook Live. Uh, you guys are a real MVP as always. And we will be back next week. I will be at the parade on Monday, guaranteed. So you guys celebrate safe and celebrate fun. But until then. Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment reminding you each and every day that we're out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. in Six, 2019 NBA champions. We the North, Kings in the North, we the champs. Peace.
1: She just want love and get married yeah. But I'm just tryna buy like Lowry Swish. When I hurt him I know why she say sorry nah. When I hurt him I know why she say sorry yeah. Yeah. She just want love and get married yeah. Yeah. But I'm just tryna buy like Kyle Lowry yeah. Swish. I see why my heart is still frozen yeah. Cause I'm just tryna ball up the roses and smash. smash Pull up to a, pull up to party And all these just like party
0: Over your gang and
1: it And all these bad like party But I'm still a rude boy like party Tell me why these still on me Now my ex-girlfriend should still call me she sure said she miss writing all of my Harley. Oh no. She asked me if I mess her, so hardly Oh no. I'm too busy messing around with these thotties. Uh, and all these bodies with the slim thick bodies. Oh no. While I'm out trying to make this money. Do you really wanna take that from me? Oh no no no. She just want love and get married. Yeah. But I'm just tryna ball like Laurie, swish. When I hurt him, I know why she said sorry. Nah. When I hurt him, I know why she said sorry. Yeah, yeah. She just want love and get married. Yeah. But I'm just trying to buy like Cali. Yeah, swish. Ask yeah. me why my heart is still frozen. Yeah. Cause I'm just tryna ball up the roses Come alive from the north side, kiss you did it no side Yeah, I'm from the cold side, with no cosign Gotta keep my odds on the pro line, five yards from the goal line I'm I really chasing fame, oh I'm looking for some change You act like it's the same thing, till until till and get a ring I'm just trying to do my thing, don't get caught up with a tang Hold your queen if you a king. She just wanna love and have some offsprings. Uh, but the pressure is a killer. Uh, if I mess around, then I know I'ma miss her. Uh, she know that I'm hungry, she said, Baby, I'm your dinner. Uh, Baby, love me the way that she love the mirror. Girl, girl, girl. She just wanna love and get married. Yeah. But I'm just trying to buy her like Laurie. Swish. When I heard her, I know why she said sorry. Nah. When I hurt him I know I should say sorry Yeah, yeah She just want love and get married Yeah, yeah But I'm just trying to ball like Kyle Lowry yeah, yeah. Ask me why my heart is still frozen Yeah, Cause I'm just trying to ball like the rose